global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father in heaven, we pray for your spirit to be poured out upon us as we study your word today. We ask for a new and clearer understanding of the prophecies that are so important in our day. Lord, we know that Jesus is coming soon, and we want to understand the nature of his coming. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. I'm Scott Ritzema. We are going through once again the series on prophecy. Today's session is entitled, A Thief in the Night. And for this radio broadcast, we are focusing our attention on the second coming of Jesus. Yes, there's a lot of news and information happening in our world that fulfills Bible prophecy, and we'll continue studying that news and information in future broadcasts. But here we dedicate ourselves to the Word of God, because many of us find ourselves in places in our personal lives where we need the comfort and love of Jesus Christ. We're discouraged. We're troubled. We're stressed. We're tempted. We're dealing with all sorts of darkness and despair in our lives. And Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Do you hear the encouragement? On what basis are we to not let our hearts be troubled? Because Jesus is going up to heaven, and then he's going to come come back and take us to be with him. Titus 2 calls this the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. His second coming is the blessed hope. There are over 300 references to the second coming in the New Testament alone. Even all the way back to Enoch and Job, these were men who prophesied of the coming of Jesus. The Protestant reformers, all the church history uh, followers of God, the leaders of the churches who were true to the Bible, focused on the second coming of Jesus as the great hope. In Revelation 21, verse 6, it gives us such hope that when it says, It is done, all of the sadness and pain and sorrow of this age will pass away when Jesus comes. No more tornadoes or tsunamis killing a quarter million people, earthquakes killing tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands in some cases. No more famines and starving children. It is done, God will say, when Jesus comes again. No more wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and every form of disease and death that is spreading like a scourge upon the world. No more terrorism. No more violence. No more domestic violence. No more mass shootings. It is done, Christ will will proclaim. No more hospital visits, no more cancer and stroke and heart disease and diabetes. It will be done. No more broken homes, no more divorce, no more children crying themselves to sleep at night, and no more funerals, no more death, no more despair. Jesus will one day say, it is done. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. 
for the former things have passed away. So I'm looking for a land that is fairer than day, and heavenly country, my citizenship is in heaven, is yours today? So when is Jesus coming back? Well, a book came out some years ago called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. And then there was another provocative title, 1994. And that same author predicted 2011 Christ's return would take place. Now, there's no reason to set dates for Christ's return. Jesus said you would see certain things coming to pass and you would know that the time is near. That's enough. Now, you'll hear these predictions referred to often as the rapture. Now, the word rapture is not in the Bible, but certainly the concept is in 1 Thessalonians 4, we are caught up together in the air with the sleeping saints who are raised from the dead. Caught up means to be carried away, to be raptured. Now, as we think about the second coming of Jesus, we have to take a lesson from his first coming. The vast, vast majority of people in Jesus' day did not read the prophecies properly to understand the nature of Jesus' first coming. He came as a babe in Bethlehem just as the prophecies said, but they missed him. They did not know he was the Messiah. The vast majority of people overlooked, misread, did not study thoroughly the prophecies. And it says in Matthew 24 that as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. What was it like in the days of Noah? Virtually everybody perished and only eight were saved. So same thing at the end. We're going to have more than eight, I believe. The Bible says 144,000, whether that's literal or figurative. The bottom line is the majority don't get the truth right. Now, we all have the opportunity. The average American has four copies of the Bible in their home. Yet, of born-again Christian families, less than one in ten are actually reading the Bible at all together during a given week. So we have the Word of God. There's no reason any of us need to be confused or deceived in any way, but deception abounds when it comes to Bible prophecy. Satan has really done a number to confuse people. So we've got to read. We've got to study. We've got to believe what the Bible says and not what man says. Now, the Bible is very clear about the nature of Christ's coming. In Acts 1, verse 9, let's just read it, and you, you count how many times you hear a word that sounds like something involving seeing or visual experience. It says, And when Jesus had spoken these things, while the disciples beheld, Jesus was taken up. So Jesus was raptured before their eyes when he ascended into heaven. It says, And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood with them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which was taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, in the same way, as ye have seen him go into heaven. All right, so Jesus literally went up into heaven before their very eyes. So the first lesson is his second coming, if it's going to be in like manner, he's going to literally come back. Jesus' second coming is not just a second coming in our hearts. Yes, he's coming into our hearts now, I, I pray. But his second coming will be literal. Also, it will be visible. Did you notice they beheld? He was taken up out of their sight. They looked, they gazed. Why are you gazing up into heaven? Jesus will come back just as you have seen him go into heaven. Five times in this three-verse passage in Acts 1, 
it makes reference to sight. This was clearly a visible experience for the disciples. They saw Jesus go into heaven. Now, Revelation 1 verse 7 has a very clear and important statement as it relates to this topic. It says, Behold, Jesus is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Definitely the second coming of Jesus is visible. But there's much more. The Bible wants to be extra, extra clear. The Lord knows what deceptions will be coming our way, and he wants to make it crystal clear for the student of the Bible so we don't need to be confused. Matthew 24, verse 30 says, And then then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in the heaven, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. When Jesus comes, we will see him. Revelation says, every eye will see him. Matthew 24 says, they shall see the Son of Man coming. Also in verse 27, it says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So the the angels that stood beside the disciples after Jesus' ascension said, just as you saw him go up, He's going to come back in like manner. You will see him come back down. Although we're going to be caught up into the air to be with him. He won't come all the way back down to the earth. And Matthew 24 says his coming will be as lightning that comes out of the east even unto the west. In other words, everybody sees it. Every eye will see him, the Bible says. So Jesus' second coming is literal. It is visible. 1 Thessalonians 4 gives us additional information. It says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. So a shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God. A threefold emphasis on a very, very noisy event. The second coming is going to be literal. It is going to be spectacular visible, audible, very noisy, anything but secret. Psalm 50 verse 3 says, Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him. It shall be very tempestuous all around him. Folks, it's going to be a glorious event. You will not miss it. Now, there are ideas spreading around that the second coming of Jesus is a secret event. Well, Jesus actually warned against the idea of some secret coming that nobody will see. He says, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, Look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Many, many people are teaching today in prophecy circles a secret coming of Christ. And in fact, they actually teach that there are two second comings. One, that's a secret coming where Christians just disappear and then supposedly life continues on this planet after the second coming. Nowhere stated in the Bible that life continues on this planet after the second coming. Read the Bible cover to cover. Don't take my word for it. But the idea is The doctrine is taught, the deception is presented, that Jesus will 
take people away secretly, and then life continues for seven years, at which time the, quote, seven-year tribulation will take place. And then the second, second coming takes place, and that's the one that's visible, audible, glorious, etc. Now, I implore you to read the Bible for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but you have my word. I promise you, you will not find anywhere that there are two second comings with a seven-year tribulation in between them. It's just not there. The Bible never talks about a seven-year tribulation. I know that might sound surprising because this has made such popular fiction novels and movies. And really, if you go from novels and movies and popular prophecy teachers out there and you don't study the Bible for yourself, you're going to end up in some pitfalls and deceptions. But they actually make, you know, movies about it. One movie came out years ago called A Thief in the Night. And it pictured this scenario of a secret second coming of Jesus, followed by seven years of tribulation, and then the second second coming of Jesus. This is not in the Bible, but it made for an interesting scenario that is taught in prophecy books. We're going to see what the Bible says about a thief in the night after the break. But I want to implore you, don't listen to prophecy teachers, including this one, or fiction books. Listen to the Bible. Only listen to me if I'm preaching the truth of the Bible. Take me out of the equation. Study the Bible. You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher, and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. The ancient Israelites reached the absolute pit of depravity in the Old Testament when they entered into idolatry and literally sacrificed their children to Molech. But aren't we doing the same today? When 50 million babies are killed in abortion procedures in the last 40 years. When we hand over our children to the media and the secular humanist schools to raise our children, we're outsourcing our parenting right into the hands of the enemy of souls. Any parents with children in the home need to know this. Write down the DVD title and share it with them right away. It's called How to Raise the Remnant. Now more than ever, parents are in desperate need of solid biblical counsel to guide us back to God's plan for raising godly children in these last days. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior Precious Redeemer and friend Who would have thought that a lamb Could rescue the souls of men Oh, you rescue the souls of men And we're back. This is 11th Hour Dispatch we're continuing to behold that wonderful, merciful Savior in our study of the Scripture, beholding Him coming upon the clouds of heaven. The Bible says every eye shall see Him. The Bible says that when He comes, it will be surrounded by the trump of God, the archangel, and the voice of God. That He will not be silent. A fire will tempestuously go before Him, and it will be a glorious, visible, audible event when he literally comes back to this earth. But the Bible does use the phrase, 
thief in the night. And many people take that phrase, and you can craft a, a whole movie script around it, a whole novel around the idea of a thief in the night. But it's much more important to study what the Bible says about a thief in the night. In 2 Peter 3, verse 10, Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Okay, well, I could just pause right there and conclude what I want to about what that might mean or look like. But let's read the rest of the verse. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Oh, okay, so when the Bible says Jesus will come as a thief, it doesn't mean nobody will notice. Quite the contrary. When he comes as a thief, the heavens pass away with a great noise, the elements melt with fervent heat, and the earth and the works that are therein are burned up. Okay, so what does it mean that he will come as a thief? It certainly doesn't mean nobody will notice, because everybody will notice. Every eye will see him. It's, it's all of this. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Second Peter 3.10 is very clear that when Jesus comes as a thief in the night, it is a very intensely magnificent event of noise and the whole earth burning up. Okay, well, what does it mean then that he comes as a thief? Jesus says in Matthew 24, Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Oh, okay, that's a little more clear. A thief in the night means he's coming when we don't know, when we don't expect. His coming is not secret. He arrives with glory. For some people, it's a surprise. And in that sense, it's like a thief in the night. Jesus is saying, always be ready. That's what the thief in the night phrase is talking about. He says the Son of Man is coming at an hour in which you do not expect. It says the word hour three times in this passage. It never says he's coming secretly. Peter says the contrary. He's coming the opposite of secretly. The whole earth is going to burn up when he comes as a thief. Now, Matthew 24 says something very important. Also, that is misunderstood, misconstrued, by some of the popular prophecy teachers of our day. And it's the statement that one will be taken and the other left. This, this left idea is where you get the left behind principle uh, title for popular novels and movies. So let's read the passage and see if we can understand how this statement should har- could harmonize and, and should harmonize with the rest of the Bible teaching on how visible and noisy and literal and burning up of the earth Christ's second coming is. There's, there's no life that goes on after Christ's second coming. We just read that. The whole earth is burned up, but, but we're taught that there's seven years of life after his coming as a thief. No, after his coming as a thief, the earth is burned up. Matthew 24 says, 
But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and the other left. Okay, so as it was in the days of Noah, we're going to have the same thing. In the days of Noah, one was taken, another group was left. One group was saved, the other group was lost. In Noah's day, there were two groups, those who got in the ark and those who didn't, the saved and the lost. And as it was in the days of Noah, Jesus says there will be two groups. What happened to the lost in Noah's day? Of course, they perished in the flood. Two people were at a hand mill in Noah's day. One is saved, the other is lost or perished. Same thing when Jesus comes. Two people will be in the field. One will be saved, taken up into heaven. One will perish, will be destroyed by the brightness of his coming. Two people, same place, same opportunities, same privileges. One saved, the other unsaved. Just like in Noah's day. Two people heard the message. They got the invitation. One accepted Jesus. The other went on their way and didn't accept Jesus. Now here's a question. Did, in Noah's day, did the lost get another chance after the flood came? Did they, did they live through this seven-year period of time and have this period to repent again? No. Does this text in Matthew say that this will happen? It doesn't say anything about what happens to the lost. We know what happens to the lost from other passages. But it certainly doesn't say they will live on after the second coming of Jesus. The rest of the Bible says very clearly what happens to the wicked. And it's a very tragic thing. But there are messages circulating right now. And think about the significance of this. Think about the deception that this is placing before people. The message and the idea is going out that if you're not ready for Jesus' second coming, when he comes, well, no big deal because you can catch him the next time around seven years later. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but who do you think wants you to believe that? Satan is saying, ah, oh, don't worry. Put off the preparation. You know, if these Christians are right, you'll see it when they all disappear from the earth. And then you got seven years. You can, you can prepare then. This is a deception of Satan. When Jesus returns, folks, the saved are saved and the lost are lost forever. Now, I've often been asked, okay, Scott, I got you on this from the Bible. But does this mean that believers are going to have to go through the seven-year tribulation then? Okay, again, we got to get our, our minds in the word of God, not deriving our ideas from popular notions in fanatical and, and uh, all sorts of different prophetic circles. There is no seven-year tribulation in the Bible. Read it. Read the Bible. It's nowhere in there. Now, the Bible does talk about a time of trouble or a tribulation. That's in the Bible. That's absolutely there. But there's no seven-year tribulation. The idea of a seven-year seven -year tribulation comes from Daniel 9, where it's actually a seven-year period of time of Jesus' ministry where for three and a half years he ministered, sacrifice was put to an end in the middle of that seven-year period of time, and he was 
cut off, but not for himself. And then the time of the Jews, 490 years from 457 BC to 34 AD was fulfilled at the end of that seven years. But what the prophecy gurus have done is they've cut and pasted that seven years from its prophecy and, and it just removed it from the 490 years and put it at the end of time, which there's no warrant to do that. The scripture says this is a prophecy that takes place over 490 years and here's what the last seven years of the prophecy looks like. And that was fulfilled in Jesus' day. It pointed to his baptism. It pointed to his crucifixion. I mean, it's incredible. It's Daniel 9. I hope you listen to that broadcast. Listen to the old sessions, 11thHourDispatch.com. But there is no seven-year tribulation in the Bible. Again, though, there is a tribulation. There are crazy times coming, and we're going to be studying these in great depth. The Bible presents some pretty alarming stuff, and we're going to truthfully, delicately, carefully tread into the most intense and climactic portions of the Scripture in the coming days, in Revelation 13 particularly. But what we need to know now is that when this time of trouble comes, when this tribulation comes, however long it's going to be, Daniel 12 says that it's a time of trouble that's worse than any time since there ever was a nation. Now you might say, well, how could God let us go through that? Well, read through the whole narrative of the scriptures and all of God's people were suffering persecution and going through hard times. There are people in the world today that are going through a time of trouble, a tribulation. But the Bible says, I will be with you in trouble. I will deliver you. I will be with you. Jesus says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. We want to be able to pray through our experience with Jesus that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We want to claim the promise in the book of Isaiah that says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Walkest through the fire, that sounds like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Try to convince the people of the Bible times and anybody in this world today living in Islamic or communist strongholds, try telling the 11 of the 12 apostles who were martyred for their faith that God doesn't permit his people to go through tribulation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, if God doesn't save us in the fire, we will still not obey you and bow down before a golden idol. God was with them in trouble, wasn't he? When Daniel was thrown in the lion's den because he refused to pray to the king, God was with him in trouble, wasn't he? Now there are two groups at the very end of time. In Revelation 6, at the very end of the chapter, it pictures Jesus' second coming. And those who have not received the gospel of Jesus Christ for their salvation are running to the rocks and the mountains and the caves and shouting to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the Lamb. There's a tragic end for the lost when Jesus returns. There is no seven-year, second-chance time. But for those of us 
who love Jesus with all our heart and soul and mind and strength today, we will say, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. He will save us. Isaiah 25 verse 9. So will you be ready? The question that matters most is, do I have my full commitment to Jesus Christ today? Because when that trumpet blasts, there are no more opportunities. Decide today. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. They did a study in the University of Texas and found that almost all Hollywood writers, actors, producers, and executives do not attend religious services. 2% see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Colossians 2.8 Where is the hollow and deceptive philosophy of this world today? It's being put out through the entertainment media and we are called to not be taken captive by it. But rather we are to take every thought captive. Now that's not possible when I'm in a alpha trance, when I'm in a hypnotic state. I can't be thinking clearly and strongly in an active frontal lobe manner. I can't be taking every thought captive. I might think I am because I'm awake and conscious, but things are getting into the subconscious that I'm not having the moral filter up to discern and to filter out. Brought to you by BeltofTruthMinistries.org.